Act One of The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Persons Holroyd, read by Alan Mapstone. Mrs. Holroyd, read by Matea Bracic. Blackmore, read by Kristen Hant. Jack, read by Larry Wilson. Minnie, read by Shreya Seti. Grandmother, read by Abayi. Wrigley, read by Alan Mapstone. Clara, read by Diane Castillo. Laura, read by Lauren Emma. Manager, read by Todd. First Bearer, read by David Purdy. Second Bearer, read by Chuck Williamson. Narrator read by Scarbo. The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd. The First Act. Scene 1. The kitchen of a miner's small cottage. On the left is the fireplace, with a deep, full red fire. At the back is a white curtained window, and beside it the outer door of the room. On the right, two white wooden stairs intrude into the kitchen below the closed stairfoot door. On the left, another door. The room is furnished with a chintz-backed sofa under the window, a glass-knobbed painted dresser on the right, and in the center, toward the fire, a table with a red and blue check tablecloth. On one side of the hearth is a wooden rocking chair, on the other an armchair of round staves. An unlighted copper-shaded lamp hangs from the raftered ceiling. It is dark twilight, with the room full of warm fire glow. A woman enters from the outer door. As she leaves the door open behind her, the colliery rail can be seen not far from the threshold, and, away back, the headstocks of a pit. The woman is tall and voluptuously built. She carries a basket heaped full of washing, which she has just taken from the clothes lines outside. Setting down the basket heavily, she feels among the clothes. She lifts out a white heap of sheets and other linen, setting it on the table. Then she takes a woolen shirt in her hand. Mrs. Holroyd, aloud, to herself. You know they're not dry even now, though it's been as fine as it has. She spreads the shirt on the back of her rocking chair, which she turns to the fire. Voice, calling from outside. Well, have you got them dry? Mrs. Holroyd starts up, turns and flings her hand in the direction of the open door, where appears a man in blue overalls, swarfed and greased. He carries a dinner basket. You, you, I don't know what to call you. The idea of shouting at me like that, like the evil one out of the darkness. I ought to have remembered your tender nerves. Shall I come in? No, not for your impudence. But you're late, aren't you? It's only just gone six. We electricians, you know, we're the gentlemen on a mine. Ours is gentlemen's work. But I'll bet Charles Holroyd was home before four. Mrs. Holroyd, bitterly. Aye, and gone again before five. But mine's a lad's job, and I do nothing. Where's he gone? Mrs. Holroyd, contemptuously. Dunno. He'd got a game on somewhere, doffed himself up to the nines, and skedaddled off as brisk as a turkey cock. She smirks in front of the mirror hanging on the chimney piece, in imitation of a man brushing his hair and mustache and admiring himself. Though turkey cocks aren't brisk as a rule. Children playing. Mrs. Holroyd, recovering herself, coldly. Yes. And they ought to be in. She continues placing the flannel garments before the fire, 
on the fender and on chairbacks, till the stove is hedged in with a steaming fence. Then she takes a sheet and a bundle from the table, and going up to Blackmore, who stands watching her, says, Here, take hold, and help me fold it. I shall swarf it up. Mrs. Holroyd, snatching back the sheet. Oh, you're as tiresome as everybody else. Blackmore, putting down his basket and moving to door on right. Well, I can soon wash my hands. Mrs. Holroyd, ceasing to flap and fold pillowcases. That roller towel's ever so dirty. I'll get you another. She goes to a drawer in the dresser, and then back toward the scullery, where is a sound of water. Why, bless my life, I'm a lot dirtier than the towel. I don't want another. Mrs. Holroyd, going into the scullery. Here you are. Blackmore, softly, now she is near him. Why did you trouble now? Pride, you know, pride, nothing else. Mrs. Holroyd, also playful. It's nothing but decency. Blackmore, softly. Pride, pride, pride. A child of eight suddenly appears in the doorway. Oh, how dark! Mrs. Holroyd, hurrying agitated into the kitchen. Why, where have you been? What have you been doing now? Jack, surprised. Why, I've only been out to play. Mrs. Holroyd, still sharply. And where's Minnie? A little girl of six appears by the door. I'm here, ma'am, and what do you think? Mrs. Holroyd, softening, as she recovers equanimity. Well, and what should I think? Oh, yes, ma'am. You know my father? Mrs. Holroyd, ironically. I should hope so. We saw him dancing, ma'am, with a paper bonnet. What? There's some women at New Inn what's come from Nottingham. And he's dancing with the pink one. Shut up, our Minnie. And they've got paper bonnets on. All colors, ma'am. Jack, getting angry. Shut up, our Minnie. And my dad's dancing with her. With the pink bonnet one, ma'am. Up in the club room over the bar. And she's a lot littler than him, ma'am. Jack, piteously. Shut up, our Minnie. And you can see him go past the window, cause there isn't no curtains up, and my father's got the pink bonnet one. And there's a piano, ma'am. And lots of folks outside watching, looking at my dad. Oh, he can dance, can't he, ma'am? Mrs. Holroyd. She has been lighting the lamp, and holds the lamp glass. And who else is there? Some more men, and all the women, with paper bonnets on. There's about ten, I should think, and they say they came in a break from Nottingham. Mrs. Holroyd, trying to replace the lamp glass over the flame, lets it drop on the floor with a smash. Ah, there now. Now we'll have to have a candle. Blackmore, appearing in the scullery doorway with the towel. What's that? The lamp glass? I never knowed Mr. Blackmore was here. Blackmore, to Mrs. Holroyd. Have you got another? No. There is silence for a moment. We can manage with a candle for tonight. Blackmore, stepping forward and blowing out the smoky flame. I'll see if I can't get you one from the pit. I shan't be a minute. Don't, don't bother. I don't want you to. He, however, unscrews the burner and goes. Did Mr. Blackmore come for tea, ma'am? No, he's had no tea. I bet he's hungry. 
Can I have some bread? Mrs. Holroyd. She stands a lighted candle on the table. Yes, and you can get your boots off to go to bed. Ah, oh, it's not even seven o'clock yet. It doesn't matter. What do they wear paper bonnets for, ma'am? Because they're brazen hussies. I saw them having a glass of beer. A nice crew. They say they are old pals of Mrs. Meekins. You could hear her screaming and laughing, and my dad says, Hee-haw, missus! Here, a dog's nose for the Duchess, hoping it'll smell something. What's a dog's nose? Mrs. Holroyd, giving him a piece of bread and butter. Don't ask me, child. How should I know? Would she eat it, ma'am? Eat what? Her in the pink bonnet eat the dog's nose? No, of course not. How should I know what a dog's nose is? I bet he'll never go to work tomorrow, mother. Will he? Goodness knows. I'm sick of it disgracing me. There'll be the whole place cackling this now. They've no sooner finished about him getting taken up for fighting than they begin on this. But I'll put a stop to it some road or other. It's not going on if I know it. It isn't. She stops, hearing footsteps, and Blackmore enters. Here we are, then. Got one, all right. Did they give it to you, Mr. Blackmore? No, I took it. He screws on the burner and proceeds to light the lamp. He is a tall, slender, mobile man of 27, brown-haired, dressed in blue overalls. Jack Holroyd is a big, dark, ruddy, lusty lad. Minnie is also big, but fair. What do you wear blue trousers for, Mr. Blackmore? They're to keep my other trousers from getting greasy. Why don't you wear pit breeches? Like Dad's. Because he's an electrician. Could you make me a little engine what would make electric light? I will, someday. When? Why don't you come and live here? Blackmore, looking swiftly at Mrs. Holroyd. Nay, you've got your own dad to live here. Minnie, plaintively. Well, you could come as well. Dad shouts when we've gone to bed. And thumps the table. He wouldn't if you was here. He doesn't. Be quiet now, be quiet. Here, Mr. Blackmore. She again gives him the sheet to fold. Your hands are cold. Are they? I didn't know. Blackmore puts his hand on hers. Mrs. Holroyd, confusedly, looking aside. You must want your tea. I'm in no hurry. Selvage to selvage. You'll be quite a domestic man if you go on. Aye. They fold the two sheets. They are white, your sheets. But look at the smuts on them, look. This vile hole. I'd never have come to live here in all the thick of the pit grime and lonely if it hadn't been for him, so that he shouldn't call in a public house on his road home from work. And now he slinks past on the other side of the railway and goes down to the new inn instead of coming in for his dinner. I might as well have stopped in Bestwood. Though I rather like this little place, standing by itself. Jack, can you go and take the stockings in for me? They're on the line just below the pigsty. The prop's near the apple tree, mind it. Minnie, you take the peg basket. Will there be any rats, ma'am? Rats? No. They'll be frightened when they hear you, if there are. The children go out. Poor little beggars. Do you know, this place is fairly alive with rats. 
They run up that dirty vine in front of the house. I'm always at him to cut it down. And you can hear them at night overhead like a regiment of soldiers tramping. Really, you know, I hate them. Well, a rat is a nasty thing. But I shall get used to them. I'd give anything to be out of this place. It is rotten when you're tied to a life you don't like. But I should miss it if you weren't here. When I'm coming down the line to the pit in the morning, it's nearly dark at seven now, I watch the firelight in here. Sometimes I put my hand on the wall outside where the chimney runs up to feel it warm. There isn't much in Bestwood, is there? There's less than nothing if you can't be like the rest of them, as common as they're made. It's a fact, particularly for a woman. But this place is cozy. God love me, I'm sick of lodgings. You'll have to get married. I'm sure there are plenty of nice girls about. Are there? <laughs> I never see them. Oh, come, you can't say that. I've not seen a single girl, an unmarried girl, that I should want for more than a fortnight. Not one. Perhaps you're very particular. She puts her two palms on the table and leans back. He draws near to her, dropping his head. Look here. He has put his hand on the table near hers. Yes, I know you've got nice hands, but you needn't be vain of them. No, it's not that. But don't they seem... He glances swiftly at her. She turns her head aside. He laughs nervously. They sort of go well with one another. <laughs> they do, rather. They stand still, near one another, with bent heads for a moment. Suddenly she starts up and draws her hand away. Why? What is it? She does not answer. The children come in, Jack with an armful of stockings, Minnie with a basket of pegs. I believe it's freezing, Mother. Mr. Blackmore, could you shoot a rat and hit it? Blackmore, laughing. Shoot the lot of them, like a wink. But you've had no tea. What an awful shame to keep you here. Nay, I don't care. It never bothers me. Then you're different from most men. All men aren't alike, you know. But do go and get some tea. Minnie, plaintively. Can't you stop, Mr. Blackmore? Why, Minnie? So's we're not frightened. Yes, do, will you? Frightened of what? Cause there's noises and rats, and perhaps Dad'll come home and shout. But he'd shout more if I was here. He doesn't when my Uncle John's here. So you stop, and perhaps he won't. Don't you like him to shout when you're in bed? They do not answer, but look seriously at him. Curtain. Scene two. The same scene two hours later. The clothes are folded in little piles on the table and the sofa. Mrs. Holroyd is holding a thick flannel undervest or singlet which her husband wears in the pit, and which has just dried on the fender. Mrs. Holroyd, to herself. Now thank goodness they're all dried. It's only nine o'clock, so he won't be in for another two hours. The nuisance. She sits on the sofa, letting her arms hang down in dejection. After a minute or two, she jumps up to begin rudely dropping the piles of washed clothes in the basket. I don't care. I'm not going to let him have it all his way. No. She weeps a little, fiercely, drying her eyes on the edge of her white apron. Why should I put up with it all? He can do what he likes. But I don't care. No, I don't. She flings down the full clothes basket, sits suddenly in the rocking chair, and weeps. 
There is the sound of coarse, bursting laughter, and veins subdued, and a man's deep guffaws. Footsteps draw near. Suddenly the door opens, and a little, plump, pretty woman of thirty, in a close-fitting dress and a giddy, frilled bonnet of pink paper, stands perkily in the doorway. Mrs. Holroyd springs up. Her small, sensitive nose is inflamed with weeping. Her eyes are wet and flashing. She fronts the other woman. Clara, with a pert smile and a jerk of the head. Good evening. What do you want? Oh, we've not come begging. This is a visit. <laughs> she stuffs her handkerchief in front of her mouth in a little snorting burst of laughter. There is the sound of another woman behind going off into uncontrollable laughter, while a man guffaws. Mrs. Holroyd, after a moment of impotence, tragically. What? Clara, faltering slightly, affecting a polite tone. We thought we'd just call. She stuffs her handkerchief in front of her explosive laughter. The other woman shrieks again, beginning high, and running down the scale. What do you mean? What do you want here? Clara, she bites her lip. We don't want anything, thanks. We've just called. She begins to laugh again. So does the other. Well, I don't think much of the manners in this part of the country. She takes a few hesitating steps into the kitchen. Mrs. Holroyd, trying to shut the door upon her. No, you are not coming in. Clara, preventing her closing the door. Dear me, what a to-do. She struggles with the door. The other woman comes up to help. A man is seen in the background. My word, aren't we good enough to come in? Mrs. Holroyd, finding herself confronted by what seems to her excitement a crowd, releases the door and draws back a little, almost in tears of anger. You have no business here. What do you want? Clara, putting her bonnet straight and entering in brisk defiance. I tell you, we've only come to see you. She looks round the kitchen, then makes a gesture toward the armchair. Can I sit here? She plumps herself down. Rest for the wary. A woman and a man have followed her into the room. Laura is highly colored, stout, some forty years old, wears a blue paper bonnet, and looks like the landlady of a public house. Both she and Clara wear much jewelry. Laura is well-dressed in a blue cloth dress. Holroyd is a big blonde man. His cap is pushed back, and he looks rather tipsy and lawless. He has a heavy blonde mustache. His jacket and trousers are black, his vest gray, and he wears a turned-down collar with dark bow. Lara, sitting down in a chair on right, her hand on her bosom, panting. I've laughed till I feel fair bad. Haven't you got a drop of nothing to offer us, mister? Calm, you are slow. I should have thought a gentleman like you would have been out with the glasses afore we could have got breaths to ask you. Holroyd, clumsily. I dunna believe there's out in the house but a bottle of stout. Clara, putting her hand on her stomach. It feels as if the kettle's going to boil over. <laughs> she stuffs her handkerchief in front of her mouth, throws back her head, and snorts with laughter, having now regained her confidence. Laura laughs in the last state of exhaustion, her hand on her breast. Sure, tell it then. What do you say, Laura? Are you having a drop? Laura, submissively and naturally tongue-tied. Well, I don't mind. I will if you do. Clara, recklessly. 
I think we'll have a drop, Charlie, and risk it. Eleven all the rest down. There is a moment of silence while Holroyd goes into the scullery. Clara surveys the room and the dramatic pose of Mrs. Holroyd curiously. Holroyd, suddenly. Hey, what come here? There is a smash of pots, and a rat careers out of the scullery. Laura, the first to see it, utters a scream, but is fastened to her chair, unable to move. Clara jumps up to the table, crying. It's a rat! Oh, save us! She scrambles up, banging her head on the lamp, which swings violently. Mrs. Holroyd, who, with a little shriek, jerks her legs up onto the sofa where she was stiffly reclining, now cries in despairing falsetto, stretching forth her arms. Ah! The lamp! Mine! The lamp! Clara steadies the lamp and holds her hand to her head. Holroyd, coming from the scullery, a bottle of stout in his hand. Where is he? I believe he's gone under the sofa. My, and he's a thumper, if you like, as big as a rabbit. Holroyd advances cautiously toward the sofa. Laura, springing suddenly into life. Hi, hi, let me go, let me go. Don't touch him. Where is he? She flees and scrambles onto Clara's armchair, catching hold of the latter's skirts. Hang off. Do you want to have a body down? Mind, I tell you. Mrs. Holroyd, bunched up on the sofa, with crossed hands holding her arms, fascinated, watches her husband as he approaches to stoop and attack the rat. She suddenly screams. Don't he'll fly at you! He'll not get a chance. He will, he will, and they're poisonous! She ends on a very high note. Leaning forward on the sofa as far as she dares, she stretches out her arms to keep back her husband, who is about to kneel and search under the sofa for the rat. Come off, I can't see him. I won't let you, he'll fly at you. I'll settle him. Open the door and let him go. I'll settle him. Shut thy clabber. He'll none come annoy thee. He kneels down and begins to creep to the sofa. With a great bound, Mrs. Holroyd flies to the door and flings it open. Then she rushes back to the couch. There he goes. Holroyd, simultaneously. Oi, He flings the bottle of stout out of the door. Lara, piteously. Shut the door. Do. Holroyd rises, dusting his trousers' knees, and closes the door. Laura heavily descends and drops in the chair. Here, come and help us down, Charlie. Look at her. She's going off. Though Laura is still purple-red, she sinks back in the chair. Holroyd goes to the table. Clara places her hands on his shoulders and jumps lightly down. Then she pushes Holroyd with her elbow. Look sharp. Get a glass of water. She unfastens Lara's collar and pulls off the paper bonnet. Mrs. Holroyd sits up, straightens her clothing, and tries to look cold and contemptuous. Holroyd brings a cup of water. Clara sprinkles her friend's face. Lara sighs and sighs again very deeply, then draws herself up painfully. Clara, tenderly. Do you feel any better? Shall you have a drink of water? Lara mournfully shakes her head. Clara turns sharply to Holroyd. She'll have a drink of something. Holroyd goes out. Clara, meanwhile, fans her friend with a handkerchief. Holroyd brings stout. 
She pours out the stout, smells the glass, smells the bottle, then finally the cork. Eh, mister, it's all of a work. It's at a foisty cork. At that instant, the stairfoot door opens slowly, revealing the children, the girl peering over the boy's shoulder, both in white nightgowns. Everybody starts. Laura gives a little cry, presses her hand on her bosom, and sinks back, gasping. Clara, appealing and anxious, to Mrs. Holroyd. You don't happen to have a drop of brandy for her, do you, Mrs.? Mrs. Holroyd rises coldly without replying, and goes to the stairfoot door where the children stand. Mrs. Holroyd, sternly to the children. Go to bed. What's the matter, mother? Never you mind, go to bed. Clara, appealingly. Be quick, Mrs. Mrs. Holroyd, glancing around, sees Lara going purple, and runs past the children upstairs. The boy and girl sit on the lowest stair. Their father goes out of the house, shamefaced. Mrs. Holroyd runs downstairs with a little brandy and a large bottle. Thanks awfully. To Lara. Come on, try and drink a drop, there's a dear. They administer brandy to Lara. The children sit watching, open-eyed. The girl stands up to look. Minnie, whispering. I believe it's Blue Bonnet. Jack, whispering. It isn't. She's in a fit. Minnie, whispering. Well, look under the table. Jack peers under. There's a bonnet. Jack creeps forward. Come back, our Jack. Jack returns with the bonnet. It's all made of paper. Let's have a look. It's stuck together, not sewed. She tries it on. Holroyd enters. He looks at the child. Mrs. Holroyd, sharply, glancing round. Take that off. Minnie hurriedly takes the bonnet from her head. Her father snatches it from her and puts it on the fire. There, you're coming round now, love. Mrs. Holroyd turns away. She sees Holroyd's eyes on the brandy bottle and immediately removes it, corking it up. Mrs. Holroyd, to Clara. You will not need this any more? No, thanks. I'm very much obliged. Mrs. Holroyd does not unbend but speaks coldly to the children. Come, this is no place for you. Come back to bed. No, Mama, don't want to. Mrs. Holroyd, contralto. Come along. I'm frightened, ma'am. Frightened? What of? Ooh, there was a row. Mrs. Holroyd, taking Minnie in her arms. Did they frighten you, my pet? She kisses her. Jack, in a high whisper. Mother, it's Pink Bonnet and Blue Bonnet what was dancing. Minnie, whimpering. I don't want to go to bed, ma'am. I'm frightened. Clara, who has pulled off her pink bonnet and revealed a jug-handled coiffure. We're going now, Ducky. You're not frightened of us, are you? Mrs. Holroyd takes the girl away before she can answer. Jack lingers behind. Now then, get off after your mother. Jack, taking no notice of his father. I say, what's a dog's nose? Clara ups with her handkerchief, and Lara responds with a faint giggle. Go the way upstairs. It's only a small whiskey with a spoonful of beer in it, my dog. Oh! Come here, my dog. Come on. Jack, curious, advances. 
You'll tell your mother we didn't mean no harm, won't you? Jack, touching her earrings. What are they made of? They're only earrings. Don't you like them? Um. He stands surveying her curiously. Then he touches a bracelet made of many little mosaic brooches. This is pretty, isn't it? Clara, pleased. Do you like it? She takes it off. Suddenly Mrs. Holroyd is heard calling, Jack, Jack. Clara starts. No, then get off. Clara, as Jack is reluctantly going. Kiss me goodnight, ducky, and give this to your sister, shall you? She hands Jack the mosaic bracelet. He takes it doubtfully. She kisses him. Holroyd watches in silence. Lara, suddenly, pathetically. Aren't you going to give me a kiss and all? Jack yields her his cheek, then goes. Clara to Holroyd. Aren't they nice children? Aye. Clara, briskly. Oh dear, you're very short all of a sudden. Don't answer if it hurts you. My, isn't he different? Holroyd, laughing forcibly. I'm no different. Yes, you are. You shouldn't have brought us here if you was going to turn funny over it. I'm not funny. No, you're not. She begins to laugh. Laura joins in in spite of herself. You're as about as solemn as a roast potato. She flings up her hands, claps them down on her knees, and sways up and down as she laughs, Lara joining in, hand on breast. Are you ready to be mashed? She goes off again, then suddenly wipes the laughter off her mouth, and is solemn. But look here, this'll never do. Now I'm going to be quiet. She prims herself. That happened better. Oh, indeed. You think I've got to pull a mug to look decent? You'd have to pull a big one at that rate. She bubbles off uncontrollably, shaking herself in exasperation meanwhile. Lara joins in. Holroyd leans over close to her. That's got plenty of fizz in these, seemly. Clara, putting her hand on his face and pushing it aside, but leaving her hand over his cheek and mouth like a caress. Don't. You've been drinking. She begins to laugh. Should we be going, then? Where do you want to take us? Oh, you please yourself at that. Come on with me. Clara, sitting up prim. Oh, indeed. Holroyd, catching hold of her. Come on, let's be moving. He glances apprehensively at the stairs. What's your hurry? Holroyd, persuasively. Ye, come on we. I don't think. She goes off uncontrollably. Holroyd, sitting on the table just above her. What's the use of sitting here? I'm very comfy, I thank thee. Thou art a baffling little hussie. Clara, running her hand along his thigh. Aren't you having nothing, my dear? Offers him her glass. Holroyd, getting down from the table and putting his hand forcibly on her shoulder. Nah, come on, let's shift. Clara, struggling. Hands off. She fetches him a sharp slap across the face. 
Mrs. Holroyd is heard coming downstairs. Clara, released, sits down, smoothing herself. Holroyd looks evil. He goes out to the door. Clara, to Mrs. Holroyd, penitently. I don't know what you think of us, I'm sure. I think nothing at all. Clara, bubbling. So you fix your thoughts elsewhere, do you? Suddenly changing to seriousness. No, but I have been awful tonight. Mrs. Holroyd, contralto, emphatic. I don't want to know anything about you. I shall be glad when you go. Turning out time, Laura. Laura, turtling. I'm sorry, I'm sure. Never mind. But as true as I'm here, Mrs., I should never have come if I'd thought. But I had a drop. It all started with your husband saying he wasn't a married man. Lara, laughing and wiping her eyes. I've never known her to go off like it. It's after the time she's had. You know, my husband was a brute to me, and I was in bed three months after he died. He was a brute, he was. This is the first time I've been out. It's almost the first laugh I've had for a year. It's true what she says. We thought she'd go out of her mind. She never spoke a word for a fortnight. Though he's only been dead for two months, he was a brute to me. I was as nice a young girl as you could wish when I was married him and went to the police inn. I was. Killed herself drinking. And she's that excitable she is. We'll still have an awful time with her tomorrow, I know. Mrs. Holroyd, coldly. I don't know why I should hear all this. I know I must have seemed awful. And them children, aren't they nice little things, Laura? They are that. Holroyd, entering from the door. Hannah, you have that done there. My word, if this is the way you treat a lady when she comes to see you. She rises. I'll see you down line. You're not coming astride with us. We've got no hat, neither of us. We've got our own hair on our heads, at any rate. Drawing herself up suddenly in front of Mrs. Holroyd. And I've been educated at a boarding school as good as anybody. I can behave myself either in the drawing room or in the kitchen, as is fitting and proper. But if you'd buried a husband like mine, you wouldn't feel you'd much left to be proud of. And you might go off occasionally. I don't want to hear you. Clara, bobbing a curtsy. Sorry I spoke. She goes out stiffly, followed by Lara. Holroyd, going forward. You mun mind points, don't line. I thank thee, Charlie, mind thy own points. He hesitates at the door, returns and sits down. There is silence in the room. Holroyd sits with his chin in his hand. Mrs. Holroyd listens. The footsteps and voices of the two women die out. Then she closes the door. Holroyd begins to unlace his boots. Holroyd, ashamed yet defiant, withal anxious to apologize. Where's my slippers? Mrs. Holroyd sits on the sofa with face averted and does not answer. Dust here. He pulls off his boots noisily and begins to hunt under the sofa. I cannot find the things. No answer. Ah, uh, then I'll do be out em. 
He stumps about in his stocking feet. Going into the scullery, he brings out the loaf of bread. He returns into the scullery. Where's the cheese? No answer. Suddenly... God blast it. He hobbles into the kitchen. I've trod on that broken basin and cut my foot open. Mrs. Holroyd refuses to take any notice. He sits down and looks at his soul, pulls off his stocking and looks again. This lame me for life. Mrs. Holroyd glances at the wound. Aren't that going to get me out for it? <laughs> oh, all right then. He hops to the dresser, opens a drawer, and pulls out a white rag. He is about to tear it. Mrs. Holroyd, snatching it from him. Don't tear that. Holroyd, shouting. Then what the deuce am I to do? Mrs. Holroyd sits stonily. Oh, all right then. He hops back to his chair, sits down, and begins to pull on his stocking. All right then, all right then. In a fever of rage, he begins pulling on his boots. I'll go where I can find a bit of rag. Yes, that's all you want. All you want is an excuse to be off again. A bit of rag. Holroyd, shouting. And what man want to stop with a woman sitting as frow as a jackass? And can I get a word from her edgeways? Don't expect me to speak to you after tonight's show. How dare you bring them to my house? How dare you? They've none hurt your house, have they? I wonder you dare to cross the doorstep. I shall do what the juice I like. They're as good as you are. Mrs. Holroyd stands speechless, staring at him. Then low. Don't you come near me again. Holroyd, suddenly shouting to get his courage up. She's as good as you are, every bit of it. Mrs. Holroyd, blazing. Whatever I was, and whatever I may be, don't you ever come near me again. What? I'll show thee. What's the hurt to you if a woman comes to the house? They're women as good as yourself, every whit of it. Say no more. Go with them, then. And don't come back. What? Yeah, I will go, and you shall see. What? You think you're something, since your uncle left you that money, and Blackymore putting you up to it. I can see your little game. I'm not as daft as you imagine. I'm no fool, I tell you. No, you're not. You're a drunken beast, that's all you are. What? What? I'm what? I'll show you who's gaffer, though. He threatens her. Mrs. Holroyd, between her teeth. No, it's not going on. If you won't go, I will. Go, then. For you've always been too big for your shoes in my house. Yes. I ought never to have looked at you. Only you showed a fair face, then. What? What? We'll see who's master in this house. I tell you, I'm going to put a stop to it. He brings his fist down on the table with a bang. It's going to stop. He bangs the table again. I've put up with it long enough. 
do you think i'm a dog in the house and not a man do you a dog would be better oh oh then we'll see we'll see who's the dog and who isn't we're gonna see he bangs the table stop thumping that table you wakened those children once you and your trollops i shall do what the deuce i like no more you won't no more i've stood this long enough now i'm going as for you you've got a red face where she slapped you now go to her what what for i'm sick of the sights and sounds of you holroyd bitterly my god and i've known it for a long time you have and it's true and i know who it is they're anchoring after i only want to be rid of you i know it mighty well but i know him mrs holroyd sinking down on the sofa suddenly begins to sob half hysterically holroyd watches her as suddenly she dries her eyes do you think i care about what you say suddenly oh i've had enough i've tried i've tried for years for the children's sakes now i've had enough of your shame and disgrace oh indeed mrs holroyd her voice is dull and inflexible i've had enough go out again after those trollops leave me alone i've had enough holroyd stands looking at her go i mean it go out again and if you never come back again i'm glad i've had enough she keeps her face averted will not look at him her attitude expressing thorough weariness all right then he hobbles in unlaced boots to the door then he turns to look at her she turns herself still farther away so that her back is toward him he goes curtain end of act one